I'd like, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 54. I am going to be preaching a sermon for the season, considering that it is the second Sunday of Advent. And um, I'm going to be preaching from partly from the book of Isaiah, as well as from the beginning of the Christmas story, as it's told in the Gospel of Luke. So Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 3. The Lord is speaking, of course, through the prophet. And the prophets always say, this is the word of the Lord. These aren't my words, this is the word of the Lord. And so the Lord says through Isaiah, Sing, O barren woman who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will people the desolate cities. And then turn with me, if you would, to uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and I will be beginning the reading in verse 5. And as I read, you will quickly see, I think, the connection between what God says through the prophet Isaiah and uh, the beginning of the Christmas story as it is recorded by Luke. Luke says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and they will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach. From among the people. May God bless the reading of his word. It's not by accident that the greatest story ever told, and of course the story of Jesus is the greatest story ever told, um, and I use that word in, in, in uh, the most important way. Um, sometimes when we use the word story, we we get the sense of something that is a fiction, when in fact the story can very much be uh, incredibly true. And that is, of course, the case with the Christmas story. It is the greatest story ever told because it is the truth. It is the apex of the human story. But it's not by accident that this greatest story should begin with the description of an old priest and his wife. And uh, that we should read in verse 7 in Luke's description of them that they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. There is a purpose behind that description and that beginning for Luke's gospel. Because that statement at the very beginning of the story of Jesus should take us all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 and the story of Abraham. As we are introduced to Abraham and to his wife Sarah in Genesis chapter 11, the first thing that we learn about them is that Sarah was barren. That because of that, she and Abraham had no children. We know well the story of Sarah and her barrenness and that she and Abraham too were very old, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, well beyond their childbearing years when we first meet them. We know how she wrestled with the personal sorrow and the social stigma of not being able to have children. And we know how she and Abraham tried to understand God's promise that in spite of her barrenness, they would bear a child of their own. How was that to be? They tried for years and years to understand what that meant. In the end, it took that promise 25 long years to be fulfilled. 
And as we read on through the story of the patriarchs, we find that barrenness actually ran like a plague through the family of promise. Not only was Sarah barren, but her daughter-in-law, Rebecca, was also barren. And Rebecca's daughter-in-law, Rachel, was also barren. And yet it was through the crushing devastation of barrenness that God brought the children of promise into the world. In fact, as we read through scripture, we find that barrenness, with all of its pain, actually often signals that God is about to do something big. So Sarah's barrenness led to the birth of Isaac, and Rebekah's barrenness led to the birth of Jacob, and Rachel's barrenness led to the birth of Joseph. And Joseph himself experienced his own form of barrenness in the depths of an Egyptian dungeon until he emerged to deliver not only his own family, but all of Egypt and the surrounding nations from the devastation of famine. So there is a story beside the story. A story of blessing out of barrenness. It's a story that is woven like a golden thread through the story of redemption. And so as we read on through that story of redemption in the Old Testament, we find that out of the barrenness of an unnamed woman, Samson was born who would sacrifice his own life to rescue Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. And from Hannah's barrenness, Samuel was born, who would lead Israel from a loose collection of tribes into a nationhood under King David. And so the Lord declared through the prophet Isaiah words that were spoken really to Israel, before it even happened, before they went into exile, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to them and saying the day is going to come when you are going to experience barrenness in exile. The prophet Isaiah speaks to them words that would become prophetic not only for them, but also in the ages to come. We find them fulfilled in Zechariah and Elizabeth. But those words that he speaks are not only prophetic, they're really also an observation. Are you barren? Is there barrenness in your life? Get ready for God to do something big. Because that's what God does. And so the prophet says, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Through your pain and desolation, God is about to do something big. Expand your tent. Prepare your nursery. Put on an addition. Secure your tent stakes. For out of the desolation of exile, God is going to show himself mighty and gracious. So secure your tent pegs and tighten the cinch ropes, because soon your tent will be bursting at the seams with so many children, it will not be able to contain them. 
That is essentially the message that God gives to his people through the prophet Isaiah. And so in light of all of that, it's fitting that Luke's gospel should begin with the story of an old priest and his wife suffering the personal sorrow and the social reproach of barrenness. And Luke tells us, as I mentioned, that they were very old, like Sarah and Abraham. They were well beyond the time that we might expect them to have children naturally. Luke also tells us that Zechariah was a priest and that both Zechariah and Elizabeth belonged to that ancient line that could be traced all the way back to Moses' brother Aaron. And so they were of the family that were set apart by God specifically to serve as priests in the temple. It's estimated there were about 18,000 priests in Israel at that time. And the priesthood going all the way back to the Old Testament was divided by family into 24 divisions. And Luke makes mention of that, 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 that Zechariah was of the division or of the family of Abijah. And it was set up in such, the temple service was set up in such a way that each division would serve two weeks per year at the temple. And so when it was the time for that particular division to serve, some scholars say all of them would come to Jerusalem. Some say that um, just a portion of them would be chosen to come. But uh, in any case, Zechariah found himself in Jerusalem because it was his turn to serve as part of the division of Abijah in the temple. During those two weeks of service, Each morning, lots would be cast to determine who would perform the most sacred and most honored duties. And Luke makes mention of that in verse 9 in his description in our text. And on that day, the most honored duty, the duty of offering the incense on the altar in the holy place, fell to Zechariah. This offering of incense was performed twice each day in conjunction with the morning and evening prayers at the temple. And the offering of incense was also precisely timed with the morning and evening sacrifices that were performed at the altar of burnt offering in the courtyard of the temple. So we have these three things going on that are all basically the belong as one, we need to see them as one, uh, one single ritual that was packed with meaning. We have the sacrifices, which of course um, reflect and foreshadow Christ's ultimate sacrifice on the cross. We have the people who have gathered, and the people would gather. In fact, Luke mentions the crowd. The the word that was here in our text in the ESV is the multitude had gathered outside the temple. So we have the people that have gathered to pray. 
And then we have a priest, in this case it's Zechariah, who is in the most holy place, who has, it's been prepared for him, and he now goes in there alone, carrying a censer of incense, which he is going to pour out onto the burning coals that are on the altar. And that is all taking place at exactly the moment when the, the sacrificial lamb is being laid on the altar. All of those things are happening together. And so the smoke of the incense um, goes up before the Lord, just as the prayers of the people are going up before the Lord. And so all this would take place, and then the people would wait outside for the priest who was offering the incense to uh, come out and the priests would gather at the steps to the temple and they would pronounce to the people the ancient Arianic blessing from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Luke mentions in verse 21 that the crowd is there waiting for Zechariah to come out and he's not coming out and they're wondering what's what's going on. So imagine Zechariah for a few moments as he enters in to the holy place in the temple, his heart pounding with the rare opportunity of carrying in the incense to be laid on the altar, that honored, honored task. He enters the holy place and he approaches the altar of incense and as he approaches just beyond the altar is the curtain that separates the holy place from the most holy place. And so he is very much aware that just feet away from where he's standing through that curtain is the Ark of the Covenant with its golden seraphim rising up on either side and the throne room of God himself where God sits enthroned. I wonder, his task was not only to offer the incense, but also to pray inside the sanctuary along with and for the people that are praying outside at the same time. What was that prayer that was hidden deep in his heart as his footsteps echoed against the stone walls of the silent sanctuary? What was his prayer as he stood there waiting for the signal. Probably it was a bell that would be rung, that would tell Zechariah the priest outside is about to put the, the offering on the altar. Now it's time for you to do the same. Can't help but wonder if he prayed something like this. Oh Lord, deliver your people from this barrenness. The prophets have gone silent and it is many years since we have seen your spirit move in power as our ancestors did. A foreign nation occupies the land that you gave us as our inheritance 
and we are bent low under the yoke of their oppression. Remember the words of the prophet, O Lord, through whom you promised that the barren woman would sing for joy, for we are that barren woman. Send us a son in our barrenness. Send us the deliverer you promised, the anointed one, the Messiah. Barrenness. Quite a poignant symbol. Not only for the unrealized hopes of Israel, but for the utter hopelessness of the human condition. In the ancient world, barrenness was a heavy burden. It was not only the hope, but also the responsibility of every young bride to produce children for her husband. And so you can imagine on her wedding day the excitement and the anticipation of a life of of, of bearing children and, and of being the mother of children. And as the years go by, those hopes are dashed and unrealized. And the accusations come and the questions come and the looks come. For those who could not produce children, it was devastating. Not only did they face the personal loss of their unfulfilled hopes, but a woman who couldn't have children was essentially considered dead. If she, if she couldn't continue the family line, what value did she have? There was also a sense of shame and guilt that was associated with barrenness. If God had withheld the blessing of children, it must be for a reason. There must be some sin or shame behind the curse of barrenness. And we get that from Elizabeth, who at the end of the passage that we read, finally gets relief from that sense of disgrace that she felt from the community around her, she says, the Lord has finally removed my disgrace from among the people. And barrenness is also a symbol of our powerlessness and hopelessness. Both Sarah and Abraham, Scripture says, as well as Zechariah and Elizabeth were too old to have children. There was nothing that they could do to remedy their situation. Hope had long since given way to resignation. All the desire and effort in the world could not stir new life in them. They were as good as dead. What a picture of the human condition. We too, apart from the redeeming grace of God, are dead in our sin. And in ourselves, we have no power to remedy our situation. We cannot produce life where there is no life. We are completely powerless to help ourselves. And as the scripture says, without God, we have no hope. And we too are under the curse of guilt and shame. 
we have sinned against God and turned away from Him. And because we have rejected Him, there is no life in us. And in our fallen condition, we too are as good as dead. And we experience barrenness in other ways as well. I think that most of us would agree that 2020 has been a year of barrenness. And if you're like me, you are weary. There seems to be just this heaviness that has descended on us all. And more than uh, perhaps at any other time, at least in my lifetime, it has become very apparent that we live in a world that increasingly seems to be without hope. We experience barrenness sometimes, some of us, in the disappointment of our hopes and in our shattered dreams. We anticipate what life will be and what our hopes for the future are. And sometimes those things are disappointing and life doesn't turn out the way that we thought that it would. We can experience barrenness in the loss of a loved one. Some of you have lost loved ones this year. In the brokenness of a marriage, in the loss of a friendship, the loss of our health. Sometimes barrenness is represented by our own disappointment in ourselves. The guilt and shame and regret that we feel over decisions long since made that can't be unmade and words spoken that can't be unsaid. Consequences set in motion that can't be undone. The gospel, that brings us back to the gospel. Luke's beginning to his gospel, this story of redemption with a story of barrenness. It's important. It's not by accident because the gospel is not just a story. It is our story. The emptiness of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a mirror. It's a mirror in which we are intended to see ourselves. In which we are intended to see the desperate condition of the entire human race. But there is here in this story that Luke tells us another truth that is almost hidden from view that we might miss altogether if we're not looking carefully. And isn't that the way that God does it? Isn't that the way that he does things? Even as we go forward in this story of the birth of Christ, we find that in fact those truths that God wants us to see, he sometimes whispers. They're almost invisible unless you have eyes to see them. There are those that might expect that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords should be born in a palace in Jerusalem and they might even be offended by his birth. Who would think to look in such a place as a stable in Bethlehem, a whisper? And so there is this truth 
this whisper of truth in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that is almost hidden from view. We find it in Zechariah's name. Hidden in his name is a message of hope because his name means Yahweh remembers. It's a reminder that even for an old man and his wife who spent their whole lives carrying the burden of childlessness, there is hope. Because Yahweh remembers. Even for the nation of Israel who had been living for centuries in the barrenness of oppression under the yoke of a foreign government that occupied them and the oppression and the darkness of the fact that the prophets had long since grown silent and there seemed to be no life. Yahweh remembers. Even in the most broken places, even in the deepest pit of despair and loneliness and shame and regret, even in the barrenness of our souls, there is hope for life because Yahweh remembers. He sees us in our weakness. He sees us in our grief. He sees us in our brokenness and our sorrow and our regret. And he remembers his steadfast love for us. And not only does he remember his steadfast love for us, but he also remembers his promises, scripture says, from generation to generation. He will not forget. He is always faithful. And we see that played out in the Christmas story because there in that moment when Zechariah is kneeling at the altar of incense praying to God, Father, see our barrenness. The words of the prophet are echoed in the background. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Sing and rejoice. God is about to do something big. God is about to do a new thing because he remembers his promises and he is faithful. So it was that in due time, Zechariah's old barren wife gave birth to a son and they called his name John. And soon after, Elizabeth's young cousin Mary was also found to be with child, though she was a virgin. And that child would one day stretch his hands out on a cross and give his own life in order to give life to a dead and barren world. Because God remembers. So what is your barrenness? What is the secret shame that you carry deep in your heart? What are the hurts that keep you up at night? What are the anxious thoughts that distract you? What is the darkness that seems to descend? 
What are the circumstances that strain your faith in God? We live in dark days, but we can trust in the promises that God has given to us. That same child who was born to Mary and Joseph as a part of the fulfillment of God's promises to the ancient people of Israel. That same child has also made promises to us and he has said to us, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And he has also promised, I will come again. There are times when it seems like there's not much to hang on to. Sometimes we can just, you know, keep going and find that thread of hope and hold on to it and, um, and, and see the light at the end of the tunnel. And sometimes we can't. So my encouragement to you today, brothers and sisters, on this second Sunday of Advent at the end of a really rough year, when there is nothing else to hold on to, can hold on to this. Yahweh remembers. He will not forget. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten me. He has not forgotten the love that he has for us. And he has not forgotten the promises he made us. He is faithful. He will be Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and the encouragement that it gives us. Thank you for the way that it looks into our hearts and shows us ourselves. Sometimes it shows us things about ourselves and things that we're struggling with and wrestling with that we don't even know until you cast the light of your spirit and your word into our hearts. Lord, in whatever places your people are barren, I pray that you will help us to remember that you are the God who remembers. You have shown in the past that you are faithful to your promises and you will show in the future that you indeed are faithful. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name.